Welcome to Her Talks, a conversation on why women's health matters now, presented by Her Health EQ. My name is Greta Malk. I'm the content developer for Her Health EQ, a global nonprofit focused on deploying medical equipment to improve women's health in underserved regions worldwide. At Her Health EQ, we believe that women are the cornerstone of the family unit and communities at large. And when we give women in under-resourced geographies the tools they need to survive and thrive, the benefits clearly extend to their children, families, and nations as a whole. Her Talks is our quarterly panel with innovators, researchers, healthcare professionals, philanthropy experts, and more, where we discuss how we can use our strengths to achieve women's health equity. The episode you're about to hear was our fourth Her Talks panel, which originally aired on April 27, 2021. In this episode of Her Talks, the panelists discuss how the environment affects global health. The panelists first give an overview of which environmental issues are affecting which health issues. Then they discuss how innovation, politics, and social activism can address these issues. The panelists then ask each other questions about how they are addressing these issues in their respective fields, especially in corporations, holistic education, and data analysis. They answer the question, how can businesses, nonprofits, and policies support women's health? This episode is a conversation between three experts, Fran Ayala-Samayajala, Jessa Roebuck, and Sheila Patel. The moderator for this discussion is Faith Lajandra. Fran Ayala-Samayajala is the CEO of RTL Innovation, a health data analytics and tech company and the president of Happy Mama, a support network for new mothers. She's the recipient of national awards for motivational and collaborative leadership, including the National Campaign for Tolerance. She's a member of the Wall of Tolerance, the United Nations Association, and multiple global organizations on population health. Ayala Samayajala has authored several publications on technology-enabled population health management solutions and is an acclaimed thought leader. Jessa Robick is the CEO and founder of Vitaluz Development, a team of innovators on a mission to create properties around the world and make sustainable coexistence a reality. There, she works in agriculture, hospitality, development, and manufacturing in order to address the urgent need for sustainable, systemic change. She's joined by her baby girl, Lillian. Sheila Patel is the Vice President of Sustainability and Business Technology in North America for Capgemini Invent, a consulting group for executives to access expertise in strategy, technology, data science, and creative design. She is driven by values of freedom, inclusivity, personalization, and also serves as the chairwoman of the board at Her Health EQ. Faith Legendre is a circular economy specialist and accomplished and resourceful system strategist with 15 plus years of experience with 200 plus organizations worldwide. She is a highly sought after speaker with 45 plus industry speaking engagements globally and an inclusion and diversity champion and ambassador. All of their social media accounts and anything you hear in this panel, including a transcript, will be available in the show notes at www.herhealtheq.org her-talks. I am so excited to share with you volume four of Her Talks, How the Environment Affects Global Health. Good morning, good afternoon, and evening, depending on where you're joining us in this glorious world today. We know you've probably been on a lot of Zoom events, so we're very appreciative that you decided to join ours today or to catch the recording. As the old saying goes, if you have your health, then everything else follows. And when we have healthy women involved and leading within all sectors of our companies and communities, we all win. Hello, I'm Faith Lejeune, and I'll be your moderator for today. And welcome to Her Talks, an authentic conversation around how the environment affects global health put on by Her Health EQ. I'm going to go ahead and paste that uh, link to Her Health EQ in the chat so that you can look at that later on. So let me just take a moment to do that. And there you go. Copy and paste that right from the chat. And let's get started here with our incredible panelists. So Marissa, can you start us off, please? 
and introduce yourself, and then we'll pass it off to Fran. Sure, just wanted to say a welcome from Her Healthy Q, sponsors of this event. Um, I'm uh, Marissa Fayer, the founder and CEO of Her Healthy Q, and we are a global, global nonprofit social enterprise focused on women's health in developing countries. And um, so we provide medical equipment into developing countries to focus on women's non-communicable uh, diseases such as maternal health, diabetes, heart disease, and cancers affecting women. Uh, we have projects so far in nine countries. We've impacted the lives of over 41,000 women and uh, we're just getting started. So um, we're really just happy to host and, and have this event. And um, I'm gonna leave it to the expert speakers uh, to, to take us from here. Thanks, Marissa. Fran, I'm looking forward to hearing your introduction because, oh, did we lose Fran? I'm here. Oh, there you are. Ah, you just switched <laughs> my panels. I'm just making sure we can hear and see you. And you're, you're wearing my favorite pattern today, circles. I love circles. <laughs> so yeah, Fran, tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe where you're located, um, you know, wh what makes you smile, uh, and some of your great work that you're, you're doing these days. Sure, absolutely. So first I have to say it's an honor to be here. Really excited for the conversation. I am Fran Ayala Samayajula. I'm the head of uh, digital health strategy at HP Worldwide. Um, my background is over 25 years in industry as an epidemiologist and public health professional. Um, worked with many institutions, including the World Health Organization and across multiple sectors. Um, what makes me smile is that there's, uh, there's hope in the work that we're doing, that while there are a lot of challenges and we're gonna talk to a lot of those challenges on this discussion, um, there's just so much that can be done today, particularly with the use of technology. And I'm really uh, jazzed about that. So, yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. All right, and let's move on to our next panelist here, Jessa. And we also have a special guest with Jessa today. I love when people <laughs> bring their children to sessions because I think it's lovely and soothing and you see the eyes popping up there. So please introduce <laughs> yourself, Jessa, as well as Lillian. <laughs> sure. Um, hi, I'm Jessa Roebuck and this is my little Lillian, my, my co-host today. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a pandemic world, so kids on, on Zooms is, I think it's much better than in-person meetings where you don't get the kids and the cats and the dogs. So, um, you know, just here for a little bit of a uh, smile relief. Um, I am CEO of Vita Loose Development. Uh, we are a sustainable startup focused on placing communities that prioritize access to nutritionally dense foods and sustainable lifestyle choices as a basic human right. Uh, we believe that it shouldn't be harder to make a choice that's positive for the planet, person, or community, and, and we're building communities to reflect that. Um, so I'm located uh, in Ridgeway, Colorado, outside of about seven, out, seven hours outside of Denver and 45 minutes outside of Telluride. So I'm staring at some snow coming down right now. I'm not particularly thrilled about it, but um, yeah, and I'm just, what makes me smile is, is the ability to um, live a mission-focused life and have a professional uh, career that I'm able to really try to get that message out to the world that sustainability initiatives are important to overall global health as well. Uh, and that's why I'm, I'm here today and I'm excited to participate. Thanks so much, Jessa and Lillian. <laughs> Let's move on next to Sheila. Hi, my name is Sheila Patel. I'm a vice president at Capgemini Invent, 
And my focus is really on how to use digital tools to help further sustainability within healthcare, life sciences, and technology uh, sectors. Um, you know, I think what excites me is that there's just something different in the air uh, these days. I think that year or so has created a pause for us all to kind of think back and really focus on what's really important to us. And it feels like there's a lot of momentum building around really doing something exciting, collective around uh, sustainability, healthcare, and obviously moving uh, all those initiatives forward. So happy to be a part of this crazy and amazing panel. Thanks, Sheila. So let's start off uh, with back with you, Lillian and Jessa. <laughs> uh, and I have, I have a question for you. So when we talked, you know, last week we had a, a pre-meeting, you had a perspective that was really holistic and inclusive around women, global health, sustainability, and you talked a lot about the interconnectivity. Can you go more into that, please? Sure. Um, I, it's, it's a difficult conversation to have sometimes because people really uh, excel and do well with specialization, even hyper-specialization, and can make a lot of impact in very specific areas. Um, but, you know, it's, it's part of what we're doing in our model with Vita Loose, but also, you know, it's, it's part of my personal mission to just encourage people to think bigger about how all of these things are so interrelated. Um, as far as, you know, we can't just say, oh, sustainability or, oh, global health, because they're really one and the same in so many different ways, and they, they overlap. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. We talk about um, how one of the tenets of our model is, is access to nutritionally dense food. Uh, and, you know, when we talk about environment and sustainability, how we're farming affects health. It affects the food that comes out. Uh, to the end, the, uh, the end product, that consumer uh, consumption. Um, but it also, you know, it affects the environment, methane and greenhouse gases. Uh, but at the same time, it, it affects the individual as well. We, we have to be connected to our food source, reconnected to understanding what whole and real foods mean in the context of overall health. The United States is seeing some astronomical increases in, in chronic illness and uh, what that really means from a societal standpoint, um, as well as to a family unit. So there's just so many interrelated issues. And when we look at these things um, from a larger perspective, from a holistic view, it's, you know, how do we really build a collective consciousness that is aware and cares about all of these issues simultaneously and how they relate to each other, how they feed into each other, and that solving all of these problems is important, whether you're siloed in one or whether you're trying to tackle a bunch. Um, but it's, it's really just about that they have, they're all related. One isn't really necessarily necessarily independent of the other. So um, while that's a, a little bit of an ethereal conversation to have in some ways, it's just important to uh, bring awareness to a, a holistic approach. And, and that word holistic is, is kind of overused sometimes, but it, it's really just thinking about the problem as this systemic uh, means of, of attacking climate change and that's related to overall global health, it's related to food access and food scarcity and food swamps and all of these things play back into the overall healthcare system as well. So um, just kind of talking about an overall awareness of, of all of it together I think is a, an important thing to bring to our collective consciousness. 
So true. I'm truly passionate about the food area. I think everything stems back to food and it really does. Uh, mental health, uh, they've seen in different communities if people have whole foods and they're outside in nature and they're helping out with that. I help out with a local um, sustainable no-till farm here a couple of miles from my house um, and we teach those with different abilities to sustain uh, themselves and to uh, grow healthy food. So it really does, everything goes, not just your physical health, but uh, mental health has a lot to do with um with the foods that we're, we're consuming as well. Absolutely. And, and it's that I like that community aspect too and getting people involved. It's amazing. They, they um, around here in New York, sometimes they go into the classrooms and they uh, ask, do you know where, you know, your food comes from? Do you know, have you ever picked a carrot? And it's amazing all the hands that go up that uh, the, just the, the lack of connection from the children and the food that they're eating and, and even understanding where it comes from and how it's grown and whatnot is really fascinating. So thanks for the work that you're doing, Jessa. I appreciate it. Okay, well, let's move on to our next exciting question here that I have for who's next up is Sheila. Sheila, what are your thoughts and what we are seeing in this intersectionality of health, equity, women leaders and sustainability? Yeah, so really interesting question. Um, you know, I feel like, as I mentioned, there's just the time is really now. There's a lot of great tools out there helping to raise the awareness that we just discussed, Jess and you, around the collective uh, consciousness of what we eat, where is it coming from, um, all of those things. Um, but in addition, we're starting to see just tools out there just making sure that we're aware of how everything is interconnected uh, as it relates to equity, uh, et cetera. And a couple of examples there from industrial perspective is clinical trials, right? So the, the um, typical clinical trials has struggled uh, in the past to make sure there was an inclusive uh, picture of different uh, patients and profiles, et cetera. So with using digital tools, uh, you're able to now pull in different, uh, you know, uh, economic classes and, and different profiles of folks that should be a part of it to make sure that it's more of an inclusive uh, representation of uh, the population that you're trying to, uh, you know, focus on in terms of studying. Um, in addition, you know, if you fast forward and thinking about uh, healthcare, uh, obviously the rise of telemedicine and digital health, uh, digital medicine, sorry, um, in the form of sensors or devices to help monitor and ensure your progress through your journey of your chronic disease or non-chronic disease. You're seeing the rise of these types of technologies to really help, um, you know, ensure that that patient journey uh, is, is, um, is one that is monitored and getting the latest information associated with it back to uh, the healthcare providers that are that we're starting to see are quite diverse, right? So we're seeing a rise of women leaders, leaders in general, um, who've come in with that inclusive mindset of making sure that there's a collective way of looking at all these different inputs uh, to come to an outcome. So we're seeing all those things uh, kind of take shape and form in different ways. I'm looking forward to even, you know, that, that you know, wearables um, it can have that constant monitoring. I just think it would be so helpful. I know I have a, a mother that's ailing and she's, you know, uh, many, many hours away. And it, it would just be so great to um, 
just know what's going on, you know, from from a, a medical perspective. I, I recently, her nurse, she was having trouble because she was, you know, with her medicines and uh, they try to keep her independently living, but have people come, nurses come visit her. And uh, the, the nurse got this great new box that it, it rings every time she has to take her medicine, only opens. And then every week the nurse comes and puts them in the right little boxes. And it, I've just noticed a drastic difference. I didn't realize that, you know, that that technology could really help at that level. And it's just been so lovely. Yeah. So I can't wait to more of the IOT internet of things, yes. um, more of the, more of the connection and because it really does help, you know, with collaboration and, and um, care for, for families, especially if they're taking care of um, people that are older, uh, that are from afar. So thank you so much for, for all the work that you're doing as well. My goodness. <laughs> all right. On to our next person here. I've got a question for all of you. So nobody gets out alive here. <laughs> Uh, Fran, last but not least here on my list, your passion and understanding of women, health, politics, and policy and tech are, are contagious. When you were talking the other day, I, after I was taking feverish notes, Fran, and then I went and I researched everything that you talked about. I said, this is amazing. <laughs> I hadn't even heard of these things before. Can you share, you know, around some of the solutions or ideas and, and stuff that you're working towards? And maybe we all could join on the bandwagon and work towards it as well. Well, yeah, there, so there's a lot of, a lot of initiatives and, and I, I guess I kind of first would go with, um, you know, just even listen to you share the story of dealing with an, an aging parent, right? Many of us are in a sandwich generation and the notion that utilizing um, technology for be able to manage uh, medication adherence is really important. But when it comes back to like looking at this in the context of our environment, there's a tremendous opportunity. You know, one of the things I'd like for us to really consider uh, is, for example, the way that uh, pollutants affect our air quality and our water quality and the detriment that that has on women. And maybe to set the context on why that matters a little bit, why, why women, is because, you know, when you think about labor, the labor force, we really constitute, you know, two, two thirds of the work that's out there. If you take in consideration, not just formal, right, formal paid work, but also informal unpaid work. It's done by women. And so uh, the health of women is so paramount, um, economically speaking, for, uh, for thriving communities, which is why, you know, when we look at the indexes, they really lead to the health of women being the number one indicator of the health of a nation. And yet, when you think about the things that are resulting um, in the detriment of women's health, for example, uh, air quality having um, effects on women that uh, can lead to hypertension, uh, that can lead to uh, prematurity in terms of uh, early births, uh, complications with uh, conditions such as endometriosis all, that also themselves lead to not only infertility, but also pain and chronic pain. Uh, these, are, these are real, and hysterectomies, a, a disproportionate number of hysterectomies as a result. These are issues that we can begin to manage when we started managing our environment and leveraging technology, leveraging the sensors as you were describing, to be aware of our ambient and you know the, the, our ambiance, our ambient environment, so that we can start to uh, not only keep track, but to also be able to use those data points to help drive towards better regulations and better policies. So this is why I often get, you know, I often am showing up in a lot of diverse scenes, being on panels like this, but at the same time driving towards and, and writing letters of support for legislation that really moves the needle on ensuring um, that the 
that the things that we're doing, the decisions that corporations are making um, are also done in a manner that are, are really positive um, in terms of ensuring the overall health and well-being for uh, communities and in particular for the interest of women that often get overlooked. So true. Everything's interconnected. As Jess, as we started out, Jess started us out with that intersectionality, and it, it's really true. Um, I, I would love to see um, that measured more, and you know, real real metrics around it with the technology to show the health of a nation is mm -hmm. only as healthy as its women. Mm -hmm. And that because it just goes back. And I, I like how you said too. A lot of the the, the jobs that are being done. Um, are are by women and it was interesting I heard something the other day somebody saying that they called it the core uh, mm -hmm. there was a, a gentleman that was doing a presentation and um, he said you know if I wouldn't be able to do what I do if my wife at home wasn't is, is the core like the core of making sure our kids have good nutrition and making sure the schooling and, and making sure all these things you know, he said, it's more than what's in my day as an executive. And so it's so interesting because some organizations are trying to figure out and some governments trying to figure out, well, how do we, you know, recognize and reward these co this core working class mm -hmm. um, that is really sustaining our, our communities, like you said. And I think getting back to the data and, and the indices would be such a great start. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Beautiful. And I know you have questions for each other. So um, we talked about this uh, last week, and uh, I'll, I'll start it out. But if you, if you over the weekend, you thought of a different question to ask or a different area to go into. But I know, Jess, you wanted to ask Sheila a question around the data and the tech. Um, but, but if you came up with a different one, please feel free to say that one as well. <laughs> no, I think what you were just saying is a great segue into that, that topic. Um, and I, my question of Sheila, knowing your background, really is, just how are we using data and, you know, responsibly using data to, um, you know, either create metrics or just move the needle as far as that intersection of sustainability or environment and uh, global health? Yeah, so I think we're seeing uh, a lot of different perspectives here and a lot of different approaches because it's brand new to everyone. Um, but you're seeing systematically companies really take a step back with their new sort of presence of leaders, which tend to be more in, in, in inclusive, uh, right? Trying to think about, okay, what are the measures that we want to hold ourselves accountable for, at not only for ourselves, but for our stakeholders and the greater world community, right? So you're seeing a lot of focus uh, from companies just top down uh, looking at, you know, what are the metrics that we want to focus on and now starting to publicize around those in their sustainability reports. So I think it's something like 20% of folks had a sustainability report um, five years ago, and now you're starting to see it going up like 60, 70% are supposed to in the next, you know, three to four years have some sort of a sustainability report, which is not just focused on profits and people, but also the planet, right? and um, what are those measures that they're looking for. Now, certainly we talked a little bit about uh, the data elements within healthcare and so how folks are you know, monitoring patients, adherence, uh, et cetera. You're starting to see hospitals and, and companies, right, really focus on metrics, even get paid uh, based on outcomes. And so you're starting to see a little bit of that take form. I think 
it's going to take a long way, right? We've been in this uh, model for a while, so it's not going to change overnight, but certainly a, a, a look to trying to build metrics in, trying to hold people accountable to outcomes as opposed to just, you know, the process. Um, I think you're starting to see things evolve there as well. Very cool stuff, right? <laughs> it just seems like this is, like you said, Sheila, now is the time because we have the convergence of technology. We have the convergence with the mindset being there. Uh, and we have that convergence of the executive leader uh, being measured on it as well. I think that it's it's now our it's our time because it's the perfect storm for us and, and a storm that, you know, we've been in a drought for a while and this is, this is something the soil's gonna suck up and, you know, really enjoy and, that's something I think that's really, really great to uh, to see. I, I've been seeing um, in the Internet of Things, you know, where cities are, are, are putting in this technology. And, and I, I can't wait till we get to the point where, you know, the poor folks in sustainability, they're sitting there in front of Excel spreadsheets <laughs> gathering data. And I know that, you know, with with the edge and with the cloud and with everything that's going on and these this Internet of Things that soon they don't have to sit there and do that. The data will come through, right? The, da the data will be there and it will be exchanged in a nice lightweight way. And, and it will um, go, it'll be great when the, if the data comes from the source and goes right into the report, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> I dream of that day. <laughs> Oh, awesome. thanks so much, Sheila. I appreciate that. And, and, and Jessa for, for bringing that up. Fran, I, I know you had a question for Jessa um, around the way we work. But again, if you thought of another great one over the weekend, please feel free to ask that one instead. Yeah, you know, I, I well, an element is around the way we work. But honestly, Jessica, when you started sharing about, you know, the priority around the need to look at nutrient-rich foods, the first thing that sort of came to mind for me in terms of challenge area is dioxins, right? These, these to toxins that are in foods. Um, and that's where we're getting most of it, right? Getting so much exposure beyond air pollution. It's in and the water. It's, it's in the food it, itself. And, and yet when we have these indexes, and we're just talking now about creating these indexes and having these reports, it gets so complex, right? In terms of identifying and making for priority. Like, how do we go about making sure that these things, which we know are so important, uh, don't get overshadowed by other areas where we tend to want to put our emphasis, right? We'll put our emphasis in on things like, I don't know, solar paneling or, you know, the natural renewable energy. And then these other really important topics get lost. Can you share with us a little bit about how your organization maintains uh, these issues at the forefront of what's going, uh, you know, what's going on within our considerations around environmental health? and the health communities? Yeah, you know, I, not to, to beat the point to death, but you know, it really gets back to that holistic perspective um, that you can't singularly look at one area uh, and forgo the rest and think you're solving the problem because the problem is massive, right? So um, for us, you know, you're speaking about nutritionally dense food and um, we can even, even just that, take that example. In farming techniques, if we're farming for nutritional density and you're still using toxic pesticides, then there's, a, there's still a problem there, right? So you can't have a singular vision that this is my, my only focus. It's about really universal health, uh, you know, in a, in a context of thinking about all areas, whether it's, you know, energy healing or 
different uh, healing modalities or Eastern medicine meets Western medicine and, or herbalism or, you know, there, there's just so many facets. Um, and then the, the question becomes, how do you not become overwhelmed by trying to think of everything and not, you know, be able to really focus on any, anything. Um, so really what Vita Luce is doing, I, I would say, you know, our approach just speaking singularly from, from my particular company is that we're trying to create um, metrics that incentivize policy change because you have to have really policy behind a lot of these initiatives and support in order for them to not get lost in what the new, you know, greenwashed hot, hot topic is. Like you said, you know, solar is so popular because it's commercialized and it's accessible mm -hmm. from a profitability standpoint. But that doesn't mean that regenerative farming isn't important, right? So it, it's really about creating a comprehensive system of metrics and to tie into what we were talking about with Sheila too. And it's using quantitative data to back that up. So how are we building smart communities that really responsibly harvest uh, and analyze data? And then, you know, that bridge between all of it, really the core of all of it is education because we can harvest data as much as we want. We can quanti quantify anything and everything. We can have the most thorough complex system of, of metrics and entirely seamless communities that are out there that pull to the forefront every sustainable choice and every access to food that heals people genuinely. Food is medicine. We can do all of that, but if we don't educate people as to why what we're doing is important, then none of it really matters. So, you know, to me, ed education and policy change are really these bridges in between all of this because people, you know, there's, there isn't enough public awareness and education campaigns behind this comprehensive um, approach to universal health and that um, nutritionally dense food matters, but pollution matters, like all of these things are interrelated in so many different ways. So to me, education is the gap, policy changes the gap. And then really there's this, this behind the scenes beast of what are we doing with our data in a responsible way to, to make a conscious impact in, in incentivizing positive behaviors in, in the world today. Education definitely is a big point. Yeah. Yeah, the education at, at all at all levels. I think mm -hmm. we, we focus a lot on on kids, you know, and teaching them. But I, I, you know, I try to take some time, and I think it's important. Just to the other day, I was taking a walk, and um, there was a woman picking up weeds, you know, out of her talk to pesticides, <laughs> and she doesn't spray the pest. She said, "Well, you know," and most of the people don't spray pesticides in their lawn because they have animals, but they don't know the correlation between if you have certain genes that can be triggered into really bad stuff from pesticides and weed killers and things like that, as, as we've seen um, some of the different uh, research that's come out. So I said, oh, thanks for having, you know, a lawn that you don't spray pesticides. And, and I said, you know, if you have certain genes, you know, it triggers certain. She said, I was just seeing that in the news last night. <laughs> and she said, the person across the street, they have a dog and they have pesticides. So sometimes it's just, you know, it was like there was a politician, I think it was Har Harvey Milk, you know, out in San Francisco. And um, he wanted to, to push through some really important legislation, but he rallied around dog poop and picking up dog poop because that was something 
something that was getting to people, right? So sometimes you have to, you know, communicate with people um, on issues that are that are important to them, and then have it relate back to regenerative farming, for example. <laughs> <laughs> which um, if you don't know about regenerative farming, please do look it up. There's a lot of great movies uh, about it that, that are fun to watch and, and also educational um, with your family so you can have, have that discussion. It's, uh, it's important to not have the, the monocropping, you know, um, that we have around the world to make sure like at the farm I work at, we rotate over a hundred different crops and different kinds of things. And so we're not always growing the same thing every single year. It's, it's something different in that area. We watch it and, uh, you know, people come to the to pick up their CSA and they're like, well, what do I do with this pigweed? You know, it's, it's like a, it's a healthy green, you know? <laughs> and so we started including recipes of what to do with the stuff um, in our, in our newsletters. And people said, oh, I, I would have never tried this before. This is delicious. Or some of the, the quote unquote weeds that people are weed killing, like purslane is a wonderful uh, uh, green. And it's so funny because we started putting it in our CSA and, and people started coming back and saying, do you have more of that? I put it in a smoothie and I feel great. It gives me such energy. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it, it's just, it's interesting, you know, that whole thing around, uh, and we got chickens this year because we, then the bottom of the coop is open and we keep picking the coop up and putting it in different places. So we're constantly doing that rotation. So trying to do that regenerative farming there, but uh, it's, it is, you know, all about the education and, and go to your local farm, support your local farms that are organic, sustainable, you know, no till, no pesticides. Uh, so uh, we have some more questions, I think here too. Um, did I make sure everybody had an opportunity to ask their question? Uh, Sheila, you had a question to Fran. Yes. Uh, concerning the indicators. That's right. Let's get to that one before we get to our questions. Yeah. So, Fran, it was really uh, interesting to hear you talk about the health of women being a leading indicator for, um, you know, kind of advancements of, of different countries. As we're kind of, I guess, redefining some of the definitions, do you see or see a difference in how we define wealth, especially in future contexts? I do, and I think in some ways we sort of already can appreciate that when we look at things like education and literacy, right? Um, and certainly the work that I'm doing around maternal mortality, um, there's a there's actually a comparison I give when I examine sort of, you know, here we are, the United States as an example, having the highest uh, GDP per capita, right, in the trillions. Um, so we're number one, and I often say, you know, we're number one in that, we're number one in technology, we're number one in, in being an influencing, uh, organ, uh, uh, influencing uh, country. But when you look at the index for maternal mortality and morbidity, we are also number one. And that's something yeah. you don't want to be number one for. We were number mm -hmm. one in terms of uh, COVID. I mean, it's pathetic, right? And so these are areas where we have to say, uh, you have to begin to question, wow, if, if the healthcare, the quality of healthcare in a place like the United States, who supposedly has a fantastic GDP, um, is what it is, then does that qualify it as being the place where you want to live? And, and would you consider that to be a wealthy place? I mean, when you look at places where people uh, consider where they want to go to raise their families, they look at um, things related to crime rates air quality, right? Um, they're gonna look at the education systems. So I think these are the indicators. It's not just, it's not just the money. And the question I always uh, press upon those as we're trying to you know, look, at us, uh, look at maternal health as an example is where are we putting our science? Where are we putting our research, right? Where are we putting our, our uh, financial um, investments? 
and how are we doing those in ways that really give us the quality of return on, on the quality of life for, for communities and for individuals. And I think those are the indicators. I think also too, uh, transportation becomes a big one. Mm -hmm. If you think about where uh, the air pollution mostly comes from in urban areas and those being the areas where people have the highest you know, chronic diseases, respiratory chronic diseases, mm -hmm. it's in uh, urban communities. And why is that? Because everybody is coming in, traveling in and they're, they're leaving their you know, toxic air waste, <laughs> you know, behind, right? And that's a problem. Um, so looking at places that have good transportation systems and that are using renewable energy, these are the things that are going to become the qualifiers because ultimately these are the things that are going to trickle down to where we're going to witness and where we're already seeing in places, you know, areas of Europe in particular, the Netherlands is a great example where they're doing these practices and it's resulting in them having much better uh, quality of life for everyone and certainly um, much better quality of life, quite frankly, for women. So I hope that sort of answers the question. It does, thank you. Yeah. Any follow-up questions for each other? Here's your opportunity. All right, then we will open it up to our audience. So if uh, any audience members would like to um, ask a question or if you'd like to type your question in the chat, please feel free for any, any of the wonderful people on the call today. Well, I can very easily chime in. I would just like to, of course, I'm, I'm like riveted. I've taken like three pages of notes, but, um, you know, we talk about how the environment really affects women and, you know, and, and how technology and how corporations really do affect women in developing countries. And so I wonder is, you know, uh, friend, you were just saying there is a direct correlation between uh, environment and women. And, and we're looking at that in the States. And I wonder how corporations and how companies, and it doesn't have to be large corporations, how does everyday companies, you know, how do we impact positively? How do we change the environmental factors that can, um, that can impact the lives of women? And I know, Jessa, you're doing this a lot with, with your company, you know, and I'm just wondering from everybody, from anybody, um, what can, what can, you know, small to medium-sized businesses do as, as well as the corporations to, to really make a change in women's lives throughout the world? Well, I can, I can speak to that for, on a, on a, I guess, maybe a micro level. Um, we're seeing the largest departure of women from the workforce because of COVID um, historically at one time that we've seen um, as, you know, as a result of any particular event. Um, so, that, you know, one of the things in, in the workplace, in the context of the workplace, is understanding that women are inherently, um, you know, we inherently think of community and others before ourselves in the context of business versus a singular focus on profits or the, the bottom line dollar. Doesn't mean that we're not capable of it. It just means that, you know, part of celebrating feminine energy is celebrating our capacity for multitasking like, you know, bringing babies on Zoom calls, right? <laughs> so um, I'm just, what I'm saying is that we have this exceptional capacity for more than just the traditional 24 hour patriarchal work cycle. So understanding that we need to um, cater to the capacity of women for 
family and professional life and more non-traditional work schedules, flex scheduling, um, and just having uh, this, you know, the, the pandemic has, has brought this um, psychological vulnerability in a sense in relation to traditional work structure. It's not about going to an office, having a commute, being there all day. This is my focus when I'm there. Let's compartmentalize. It's a 24 hour cycle. That's not how women work, right? Like I don't operate that way. I'm doing a thousand things at once, you know, multitasking in all these different ways. Um, so that's our strength. That's our superpower. So being able to incorporate that in a professional capacity, whether it be company culture, whether it be just recognizing again, like I can't stress enough non-traditional work environments and non-traditional day structures and flex scheduling. These are things that you can incorporate from a corporate, corporate level, especially in the United States, because we're just so rigid with these things sometimes. Well, we were, um, but there's an opportunity here because of how quick everyone has had to change as a result of the pandemic that we're more receptive and more pliable at this point psychologically because of these all of these massive amount of changes that we have absorbed psychologically from a societal standpoint. Um, so there's really an opportunity for a higher level of incorporation of change and to, to celebrate feminine energy and feminine strengths, which are just inherently different in a lot of different ways. So, um, I mean, I, that's, I guess, the kind of the tip of that iceberg that I would like to even just address from a professional capacity of, of what we can do for, um, for women in, in the traditional corporate sense right now. You don't mind if I just like um, tag on to that a little bit, it's showing up in the data, right? So our data is showing us that um, now that people have had the opportunity to work remotely, um, it's changed a lot of expectations from an employee perspective as well. So those corporations, whether they're large or small, um, are going to feel that in terms of retention. Their ability to maintain their, their workforce is going to be uh, really um, sort of impacted by the decisions that they make around the way that they will allow for their employee base to continue to work. The benefit for smaller organizations naturally is not only um, the opportunity to, to release the burden on the employee, but also the, the financial burdens on the employer, they, them themselves, trying to maintain their uh, financial viability. And so really um, what I'm anticipating seeing more of and what our data is showing is more of a hybrid environment um, in which there'll be a lot more flexibility, not only in, as Jessica was sort of describing in terms of the hours, but also where that work takes place, right, which could be in uh, many environments. The, uh, the other thing that's awesome about that is the opportunity to bring forth sort of this uh, crowdsourcing, um, if you will, that didn't exist before either, because now you're able to uh, expand and leverage resources and experiences and uh, experts um, within certain fields that you previously may not have been able to, to leverage before. So it's really creates for uh, what I think is going to be a, an awesome future. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, more global inclusive workforce. Mm -hmm. that, and I think writing it into your job descriptions. Um, 
is really important. They say that, you know, men apply for a job if they have about 60 to 65 percent of what's on the job description and women only apply if they have 100 uh, percent or 90, at least 95. <laughs> so I think, right, you know, and they're worried, you know, about, you know, so I, I've seen a lot of people put that in flexible. So, and this is what we mean by flexible structure, um, ability to work remote, you know, we help you get set up with your technology. I think that's such an important thing to make sure you start at the very beginning with the job description. There's been a lot of analysis around uh, job description writing, and they're saying that a lot of times you're exclusive uh, when with the way that you're writing or, or excluding things in your job description. So starting from there and having diverse hiring panels and making sure if, if you're only saying people can only work from a 50 mile radius and just think of the exclusivity, you have. <laughs> like it's crazy. You're, you're just, uh, you're not including all the wonderful talents that you possibly could be including. So that- The other thing is on the environment side, right? Women being more represented in environmental science and environmental um, ingenuity, uh, ingenuity and innovation. I think that's a big one and we'll continue to see more. I think we have a way of, of perceiving and understanding um, needs um, based on the, the diverse environments in which we have so many responsibilities that that, you know, is something that is unique that we'll be contributing to. So Absolutely. I'm looking to see, yeah, more representation of women in environmental science and technology is huge. Yes, please. <laughs> that would be great. I think we'll get to our 2030 goals sooner or at least achieve them because a lot of people are saying, oh, I don't know if we're going to achieve these by 2030. They're already moving out their targets. So it's, uh, it's, it, we need more minds and, and more inclusivity to, to bring that knowledge. Absolutely. Closing remarks here. So let's start with you, Sheila. No, I mean, as I mentioned, I think uh, the, the time is now. There's a lot of different factors coming in. I think uh, everyone kind of spoke about a lot of them. Jessa, you just added policy. Uh, you just mentioned uh, as well, Faith, the, uh, the looming uh, political landscape as well in terms of, you know, setting our goals uh, high. So it feels like from top to bottom, uh, we've got all the key elements to really kind of work together uh, as women leaders, leaders in general, to kind of move the world and the earth forward. So look forward to the opportunity to be a part of that solution with the rest of you guys. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Sheila, for that collaborative response there. I love it. And uh, closing remarks for you, Fran. I just uh, piggybacking on Sheila, I use uh, now as an operative for no other options, right? Oh, we, have no other, we have no other way. <laughs> Um, while we're developing, you know, and talking about our, our sites are on Mars, I want to make sure that, we're, that the Earth is still inhabitable. So I think we... <laughs> so we I say that all the time. Please, that's let's right. not... Yeah, we, we shouldn't be out there right now. We've got bigger issues down here. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. Right. But the satellites are important, you know, like the gray satellites going around tracking the water and whatnot. And um, yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's, uh, yeah but uh, going to Mars, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we got some big stuff to handle here. <laughs> Closing remarks for you, Jessa. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I think Sheila and, and Fran kind of summed it up in a lot of different ways that are, it's it's about now and um, really, I, you know, I again, I keep saying holistic, I'm sorry I'm overusing it, but it's really just thinking about the problem from an inherently feminine perspective, which is big picture thinking and encouraging people to think big. And Kelsey, I'm sorry we didn't get to your question over there. And I, just to circle back as a final point. Yeah, I was going to say, let's, uh, anybody would like to respond to Kelsey's uh, question there. Thoughts on the future of women's informal employment in developing economies, particularly those focused mm -hmm. on agriculture with the pressure of climate change and now the global pandemic. Have you learned of any new or interesting means of intervention? 
Thanks, Kelsey, for that question. Sure. Yeah, I, I um, you know, that kind of final sweeping and then um, to answer your question comment here is uh, it's to me, it boils back to education. So that that new intervention to me in these these areas and, I, you know, there's a lot of different ways in that question. I feel like I could rabbit hole, but um, it, it's about education as far as um, keeping people aligned with returning to self-sufficient techniques as far as regenerative farming, you know, I've mentioned before, but there's a lot of different ways from a policy standpoint that you can encourage circular, return to circular economy. Um, when we're talking about developing economies, especially, for example, you know, in, in island nations, there's so many of these nations that have gotten away from being producers. So it's actually trade training and re-educating people how to return to being self-sufficient in so many different ways, reconnecting people to supply chain. Um, so, you know, I would just kind of sum it up with this, this general notion of continuing education um, and understanding that the more we educate, the more we're, we're able to help people be self-sufficient. And that also helps um, contribute to sustainability initiatives as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, Fran responded in the, in the chat here. Education is huge in agriculture and also in the home environment, such as cooking and ovens and stoves. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a that's a big issue. People in I know the United States don't think about that and other countries and um, the, the type of things that are being used to cook with um, to start the fires and whatnot. And uh, that's leading to health issues. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a big deal. Marissa, you want to bring us home? <laughs> with any last comments? No, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody. This is uh, incredible. Um, you know, the environment does play a really big role in the health of women around the world. And uh, especially, the, you know, the, the last discussion, um, you know, stoves, uh, you know, you burn wood or coal that's carcinogenic that leads to lung cancer and so many other types of health issues. And so, um, you know, everyday economy and everyday in, in developing economies really does affect the, the lives of women uh, disproportionately to other, to, you know, to, to other people. And so that's obviously why we focus on women, but um, this was super insightful. So uh, no, Faith, you bring it home. <laughs> Thank you so much to this esteemed panel. These insights I know I'll be thinking about and trying to digest uh, for a long period of time. So we appreciate the work that you're doing out there in the world. Keep it up. Keep sharing. And uh, please uh, do visit yeah, Her Healthy Q. We had pasted that in the chat earlier. I'm going to paste it again just so you have it so you kind of can digest what's on there as well at a later date. And thank you so much for your valuable time today. So together, let's uh, create a better world for women and for our planet.